you know, I, I tell people all the time that I talk about Jesus because I really believe this. It's like I didn't become a pastor so I could talk about Jesus and stand in the front. I'm a pastor because I believe in Jesus and he told me to stand in the front. Because if it was up to me, I, I wouldn't be standing there. And it seems that all the people that I know that if they had a choice, if Jesus had asked them if this is what they want to do, this wouldn't be it. But I'm here today to tell you that Jesus is alive. Yes. That, that Jesus that we keep talking about, I know in my heart, in my soul, in my spirit, in the essence of my being, that he really is alive. Yes. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your patience, oh God. Because Lord, if you weren't patient with me, oh, this would have been over a long time ago. But you've been there holding my hand, lifting me up, protecting me and keeping me, oh God, to bring me to a place, Lord God, where I could serve you and serve your people. So today, Lord, I'm asking for your strength now, for your power, for your anointing, for you to just pour out your spirit, oh God, so that your people will be blessed by your words, not mine. So touch the congregation, Lord God, every heart and every mind that came here because they wanted to hear from you, not from a man, but from you. We thank you for speaking to us through the songs. We thank you for ministering to our hearts already. So, Lord God, speak through your word. Make it clear. Lord, make it clear. Let the man get out of the way. Cover my faults so that you will be glorified. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I know on Resurrection Sunday, I'm supposed to talk about Mary and the, the disciples and going to the tomb and Jesus wasn't there. But you all know that, right? Okay. Good. I'm glad you know that. If you don't know that, then go back to the Gospels, and you can read all about it. Or if you hang out with us in Bible study for another six months, we might be at the resurrection. <laughs> we missed it again, Sister G. We missed it again. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Amen. So what I would like to speak to you about, though, not about the events of the resurrection, but what the resurrection actually meant. See, because those are the things that you got to live with for the rest of the time, not just for today. So I want to tell you about the promise in the resurrection. Galatians 2.20 tells us, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God and who loved me and gave himself for me. We say we've been crucified with Christ, but now we are alive. So that means that we've experienced some sort of resurrection. Well, I want to help us to get closer with that. My dear friend, well, he's not my friend. He's my brother. Minister Wilson Johnson shared this with me this week. When God wanted to create fish, he spoke to the sea. When God wanted to create trees, he spoke to the earth. But when God wanted to create man, he turned to himself. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. If you take a fish out of water, it will die. When you remove a tree from the soil, 
it will also die. Likewise, when man is disconnected from God, he dies. God is our natural environment. We were created to live in his presence. We have to be connected to him because it is only in him that life exists. Let us stay connected to God. There's a promise in the resurrection. See, real life doesn't start until you're actually connected to God. For he created us for that purpose. So if we're not fulfilling our purpose, we're actually abusing ourselves. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 is the message that I want to bring to you today. As I was reading it, I'm like, man, I should just stand up here and read 1 Corinthians 15. I don't need to ad lib. He'd said everything that needed to be said. But for the sake of time, and because I know y'all not going to sit here and let me read the whole thing. I'm going to break it down for you. But I'm 1 Corinthians 15, starting at the third verse, and I'll be reading from the message. The first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me, that the Messiah died for our sins, exactly as Scripture tells it, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead on the third day, again, exactly as Scripture says, that he presented himself alive to Peter, then to his closest followers, and later to more than 500 of his followers, all at the same time, most of them still around, although a few have since died. That he then spent time with James and the rest of those he commissioned to represent him, and he finally presented himself alive to me. This is Paul speaking because he actually was not one of Jesus's original followers. He was the one that was actually persecuting the church, trying to stamp out this heresy called Christianity. But he met him face to face. He met the risen savior face to face. Now, he had heard about this Jesus, but he didn't meet him until that day he got knocked off his horse. So when he's telling the church in Corinth, the first thing I want you to remember that this is about Jesus. See, if we're going to be connected to God, if we're going to be where God wants us to be, we have to be connected to Jesus. It is the things that Jesus did that makes the difference. His birth, because he came in the form of a man that gave humanity a second chance. His life, a life of total submission and obedience to the father. Now, there's a lot of people who the world wants to say lived a good life. But no one lived a perfect life. We have those that are other faith belief systems that say that Jesus was just another prophet. But who spoke like Jesus? Who said the things that Jesus said? Even the idea that he made himself equal with the father. No. If he was not equal with the father, that would have been heresy and it would have been worthy of death. But these good Jewish boys listened to him say it and they believed it and they followed it even to the point where they died. See, because if it was a lie, when somebody ready to chop off your head, you're like, no, nah, I was lying. I was lying. I was lying. No, no, you're right. You're right. You caught me. I'm giving it up. I was lying. I was lying. No, we don't need to chop off my head. I repent. I'm going to go tell everybody I was lying. Why would you go witness like Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? So if you're going to chop off my head, you're going to just have to chop off my head because I'm not giving up what I know to be the truth. Why would somebody do that? 
Because Jesus is the Christ. His death, the penalty that we all deserve, the price we could not pay. See, let's be clear about something. When wrong is done, in order to make it right, somebody got to pay. Somebody got to pay. There is no righteousness without justice. There's no justice without accountability. There's no accountability without a penalty. Because even if it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was wrong, but it's okay. No, it's not okay. Somebody got to pay. Now, now I know we in church and nobody want to say amen to that. Like, but Y'all know when somebody do you wrong, somebody need to pay. Somebody got to pay. Oh, I'm going to get to it a little later in this message, but for sure. When somebody do you wrong, you don't feel right until they pay. <laughs> One way or another. Well, I'm here to tell you that Jesus paid that price already. They don't have to pay because Jesus already paid. So if you want to put someone's sin somewhere, it went on the cross. It went on the cross. It went on the cross. I know my brother said somebody stole my hug cap in the city and my brother was not happy. So he was going to go find me a new one. <laughs> he was going to find me a new one. And, and I said, what? He said, society owes. <laughs> that was his motto. Society owes. And I told him, and Jesus paid it. And Jesus paid it. So he, he reluctantly went along with me. He wasn't happy about it, though. <laughs> Jesus paid it. Jesus paid it. So all of that stuff you holding on to, Jesus paid it. So his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. This is the proof that there is a new life. Him coming back is proof that I can live again. That even though all this that I'm going through and all this that I'm feeling makes me feel like I'm dying, his resurrection proves that I can live again. He proved that this life is not the end. All that matters does not stop here with this. So let me get back to what I was saying before. And you crazy people believe that somebody died, was locked in a tomb for three days and came back out the tomb alive. The logical, rational person would say, nah, somebody got that story wrong, especially like it happened 2000 years ago. So, you know, people, you know, playing the telephone game by the time we got to us, somehow the rock was moved away and the, the, the clothes was folded up and ooh, Jesus is alive. Why would any rational person believe that? Well, if you tried to understand it through your reason, you wouldn't believe it. It is something that is revealed by the Spirit. But here's the wonderful thing. Guess what? 2,000 years ago, people was asking the same question. We're not the first generation that questioned whether Jesus was alive or not. But somehow, the truth that he was risen from the dead has survived 2,000 years of questions. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at the 31st, 
First verse, some skeptic is sure to ask, show me how resurrection works. Give me a diagram. Show me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? If you look at this question closely, you realize how absurd it is. There is no diagram for this kind of thing. We do not have a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed, soon there's a flourishing plant. There is no visual likeness between seed and plant. You can never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it don't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground and the resurrection body that comes from it will be dramatically different. So everybody's been asking that question. What's this resurrection? You're saying it was a resurrection. What's this resurrection about? What actually happens? And Paul correctly said, what are you asking me? What? How does it happen? Well, it's something that's not like anything else. So you want me to give you an example of how this thing happens when it's something that's like not like anything else. So stop asking silly questions. <laughs> stop asking silly questions. How does this resurrection happen? Either it did or it didn't. Either you believe it or you don't. But let me give you a little clue because the Lord showed this to me. You may not understand the resurrection, but we struggle with life and death every day. Every day. In our bodies, especially as you start to get older, this thing is not working like it used to. I'm laughing because like when you're in your teens, your early 20s, none of this is relevant. But once you get to 30, you start feeling like there's a little bit something that's not the same as when you was 20. (laughs) By the time you get to 40, there's a direct difference than when you was 20. Now, you're still strong. You still can get stuff done. You can still keep it moving. But you ain't moving quite as quickly as you did as a 20-year-old. Then when you get to 50, you're like, okay, I need to settle in in something else. I got to change my stride. I can still move, but I'm going to move a lot slower than I did before. Then when you get to 60, you realize this is about maintenance now. You got to shore some things up because 70 is coming. (laughs) You got to be real careful about what you're doing now because if this go bad, then 70 is going to be ugly. But every day you're feeling that. In your bodies, look, even in your minds, that struggle of life and death. What should I do? What shouldn't I do? What's good, what's not good? Will this lead to life and betterment? Will it lead to death and more confusion and trouble? Every day, we have to make those decisions. <laughs> I remember Minister Candace, we were, we were in Bible study talking about dealing with and ordering our lives for support. Minister Candace said, we were talking about some things you have to cut, cut off. And Minister Candace said, I got to go to work, though. There's some things you can't cut off. <laughs> so, 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 
So when, when your mind is like, well, I want to find some peace in my mind. Well, it won't be from not going to work. Because people that start making that decision eventually don't have a job and then they don't have a job and then they don't have lights or food or a roof over their head. So your mind struggles with this. Should I? Shouldn't I? Should I? Shouldn't I? Go to work. Don't go to work. Go to work with a good attitude, with a bad attitude. What do I do? The struggle of life and death is there every day, even in our emotions, because now I got to go to work, but I'm here and I'm mad. (laughs) Now I'm frustrated, but now I got to fight within myself. Am I going to live that dead life or the alive life? Who am I going to be? Even though I'm here and I don't want to be here, but I have to be here. So how am I going to live this day? How am I going to get through this day? Struggle of life and death. Well, give me a few more minutes, but I'm, I'm a, like a good news, bad news kind of guy. I'm going to give you the bad news first, then the good news. The bad news is that that struggle ain't going nowhere no time soon. That is, that's just the way it is. And with it, we start thinking about immortality, life. Will it be like this forever? How will it end? And we think to ourselves, like, well, maybe, you know, it would be good if I could live forever. Well, I'm hearing some people saying, oh, no, no. But then the question would come, well, are you ready to die right now? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to live forever and I don't want to die right now. So where am I? I'm still stuck in between this thing. But here's the thing. It's because all you're really looking for is a life of peace. A life of joy. A life that does not have constant conflict. Can I find just a place where we all can get along? Like, no. No. If you leave yourself alone with yourself, you're going to get on your own nerves. After a while, you find yourself fighting with yourself. You do stuff and say, why well, I do that? How'd I get in this place? You put yourself there. So you know why that happened? Because Adam and Eve, they fell for the devil's lie. And here's where you pay attention to what I'm saying here. Don't believe God, do it your own way. Don't believe God, do it your own way. That's where the struggle between life and death started, where we started to believe that lie. And we inherited the same nature from them. (laughs) That love and joy and peace where everyone is just getting along, that died. It died without innocence. It died without disobedience. It died when we decided God didn't have the right answers and we was going to come up with the ones for ourselves. It died when we did that. So we died. We died. And don't just blame Adam and Eve because we continue to disobey. I I would ask for a show of hands, but I don't want to put nobody in a bad situation. (laughs) When the last time you sinned, don't don't show don't raise your hands. When the last time you did something that wasn't good for you or wasn't good for somebody else? Don't raise your hands. I just want you to think about it. When the last time you did something that you knew was wrong? Much less someone else told you it was wrong. You knew it was wrong. 
When the last time you had a bad attitude with someone just because you didn't like them? We continue to sin. Galatians 5 tells us what we will do. The hatred, the jealousy, the anger, the fits of rage, the selfish ambition, the greed, the gossiping. This is what the flesh does. Because that's what dead things do is make things more dead. Just add to the stink and the rot of the world. I told you this was the bad news, but I got good news. Hold on. There's no way for you, for me, for anyone to stop the stuff we're doing on our own. Our flesh is drawn to those things. Why do you think that the news always shows bad stuff? Because that's what people watch. Uh And I know there's many of us that's like, why is the news always got bad stuff on it? Because that's what people watch. Because that's what we're drawn to. Where did this whole rubbernecking thing come from? You're driving on the highway. There's an accident on the other side. But your side is slow. Why? Because everybody's like this. You got to slow down to watch the bad thing that happened rather than just keep going because we're drawn to the bad stuff. That's just the way it is. And if that wasn't bad enough, then we have an enemy of our soul whose whole purpose is to keep you looking at the bad stuff. Keep you doing the bad stuff. First uh, Peter five tells us that he ro- he walks around like a roaring lion looking for those who he can devour. So if he catch you slipping just for a moment, he's going to be on you. You you got that headache. And, and, you know, because with the way this weather's been, anybody got sinus problems, Lord Jesus, help us. You got that headache. And then somebody say something you don't like. Now, when you didn't have the headache, you might have like, oh, okay, all right. But you got the headache. When they did it. Now they going to feel the pain of your headache. And the devil is right there saying, and they shouldn't have said nothing to you to begin with. They should have been minding their business anyway. They deserve just what they got. He's right there whispering, fanning that flame. That's his job. Especially, you know, because the, the, the devil knows you. So it's like. I'm just going to wait for him to get tired. I'm, I'm just going to sit on, because I know once he get tired, I know exactly what to let happen to mess with him, and then now I got him. I've got him going in a spiral. And he'll wait till something go wrong, because he knows that that's how he gets you. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, wait, wait. How do I have a chance if my flesh and the devil is after me like that? Because, see, the devil, this, I got to mention this part. I was going to skip it, but I got to mention this part. You know, the devil got great promises. He, oh, all you got to do is this, and then you'll find love and joy and peace. All you got to do is that. And did God really say you don't do that? Did God really say that that's not right? Because if you do it, 
oh, stop it. All of us have been there. So don't, act, don't act like because you're in church on Resurrection Sunday, you ain't been tempted by the devil. Like he haven't leaned into your temptations and knew exactly how to get you. And then he gets real tricky because then he act like anger promises to make you powerful. Because if I get mad, then people got to leave me alone. And depression promises to keep you from future harms. Because if I just curl up and hide myself and put my head down in the dark, then nothing's going to hurt me anymore. That's a lie. And then lies promises to give you control over everybody. So you just lie, lie, lie. You just be saying stuff that don't make no sense because you're trying to get people to think and feel what you want them to think and feel. Lies promise that they're going to give you control. But that's a lie. But that's a lie. This is why the devil and the flesh cannot resurrect life. See, when Adam and Eve died, when we disobeyed God, we died. Now there's this struggle with this death because we want to be alive. But the flesh and the devil will never, ever, ever create life. If you want life, you got to get life from the life giver. None of these things that the flesh is telling us to do is actually going to bring us back to life. Because this is the truth. If you try to create life outside of the life giver, all you end up with is a monster. Everybody know Frankenstein, right? Somebody wanted to piece together a body, then put some power on it, and then what you created was a monster. So you're going to put together your anger and your depression and your lies and your greed, and what you have created is a monster. That's not life. All of these things that the, that the world is promising us, the things we're telling ourselves, it's a lie because it only creates a monster. The life you're looking for only comes from the life giver. See, everybody knows that, that y'all have heard me. Susie Q and Trevor, especially the Trevor with the saxophone, is a lie. Because the devil tell you that Trevor with that saxophone will make you happy. Trevor with the sax is going to make you happy for just a moment. <laughs> one hour. That's all you get with Trevor. Here's one hour. But the devil tells the promise that Trevor with the saxophone is going to make everything better. Everything's going to be good after Trevor get there. But then you find out Trevor's only there for one hour. And then he's gone. And then you're right back where you were with less money in your pocket. <laughs> but here's the good news. We're going to get to the good news now. I'll be finished in a minute. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes but to steal, to kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus' resurrection is proof that that life is real. Yes, yes. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. We follow this sequence in the scripture. The first Adam received life. The second Adam is a life-giving spirit. Physical life comes first, then spiritual. 
a firm base stage shaped from the earth, a final completion coming from heaven. We were created, this was made from the earth. And this shape was created from the dust. But the thing that we're going to be, the life that we're going to have, comes from heaven. It's not based it's not based in this. It's not based in what the flesh does, what the flesh wants, what the flesh desires. It's based on what God has said we're supposed to be. The first man was made out of earth and people since then are earthy. The second man was made out of heaven and people now can be heavenly. In the same way that we work from our earthly origins, let's embrace our heavenly ends. I need to emphasize, friends, that our natural earthly lives don't in themselves lead us by their very nature into the kingdom of God. Their very nature is to die. So how could they naturally end up in life kingdom? See, this is the thing. And I'm finished. That struggle that you're feeling you, you know, when, when, when you're fighting within yourself and you don't have the peace inside, when you're fighting with yourself and you're trying to find something where you can rest your head and feel good about, as long as you're seeking the resolution to that in yourself and in your flesh, you're going to struggle. It's going to constantly feel like something is wrong. And I'm telling you, that's a good thing because there's people that's dead and they're happy to be dead. But if you're feeling that and you realize something is wrong, that means that the Lord of the universe is actually calling you into life. See, because of what Christ did, what he showed us is that obedience to the Father is actually possible. It's not something that is not obtainable by us. Because we have a new nature, because we have a new life, we can do the things that God wants us to do. And when we fail, when we don't get it right, it's not a problem because the one who went before us has already paved the way. See, the one who got it right perfectly gave his righteousness to us. The one that went before us, that even when I mess up, I know that the Father still loves me, still holds on to me, still brings me in. Why? Because I am covered by the righteousness that Christ already exhibited. Now, I don't have to wonder about that righteousness. It's because he asked came back to life. He didn't just show himself to a couple of people. More than 500 people saw him and somehow this story has survived even till now that this Christ, he is still alive. What the resurrection proves for us is that obedience to the Father has an eternal reward. An eternal reward. We get to be something better than we are right now. We... Hallelujah. We get to be stronger, wiser, better than what our flesh can do. No matter what my flesh promises to accomplish, the spirit of the living God working in me and bringing me alive will accomplish it better than the flesh. Because the flesh will always end in failure. Jesus rising from the grave, holding on to that truth. We understand that this ends... But that's not the end. There's something beyond my strength. There's something beyond my power. It's something beyond what I can do. The spirit of the living God working through me can accomplish those things that God wants to happen. The eternal things, the things that matter forever. The things here only last for as long as you're here. You ain't taking none of that stuff with you. 
You can spend your whole life trying to get stuff here. Trying to put together something here. Trying to build things for yourself here. But none of that goes with you. None of that goes with you. When we were studying the, uh, Matthew 24, one thing that came to my mind is that people question, well, when is the Lord coming back? Ah, it's been over 2,000 years. He ain't coming back. Well, this thing came very clear to me. You don't have another 2,000 years. Most of us don't have another hundred years. And the majority of us in here probably got 50. And that's if we do good. So somewhere between the next 30 and 50 years, you're going to see Jesus. That needs to be a time that you celebrate. But not as long as you got this struggle of life and death. Not as long as you don't understand the promise of the resurrection. So let the thing die. Let it die. Stop trying to save it. Stop trying to save yourself. Let the thing die. That struggle that you're feeling inside, that fight that you have inside, that darkness that just keep coming over you, let it die. Just let it, let it die. Let it die. Why are you fighting to keep something alive that's actually keeping you in the grave? Why are you fighting to hold on to these things? Let it die. The bad attitude, let it die. The hurt, let it die. Don't keep holding on to the hurt. Don't keep rehearsing the hurt. Let it die. The fear, let it die. See, the greatest fear a lot of folk have is like, well, what's going to happen to me? Let it die. Because if you know the promise of the resurrection, whatever happens to you, you know that there's life on the other side of it. You know that there's life on the other side of it. If you understand the promise of the resurrection. Let the stuff die. Let it. I can't emphasize that enough. Because there's so many people that are fighting. Trying to hold on to stuff. That they should let die. Fighting. Trying to keep that thing alive. And you need to just let it die. If it's something that was born of your flesh. Let it die. If it was something that I just need to have this to make me feel good, let it die. Let it die. Because the thing that we all need in order to live is the life that the life giver gives us. That's the promise of the resurrection. Bow your heads with me. All of us want to be able to live in peace. All of us want to experience love and joy. 
every one of us want to be able to lay our heads down at night and just feel good about ourselves and our lives. We just want to feel safe, cared for, secured, valued. That's what all of us want. But the promise of that life is found in the truth of the resurrection. Not in what the world is offering. Not in my thoughts. Not in my feelings. Not in my desires. But it's in the truth of the resurrection. And how do I get that truth as a part of my life? By asking Jesus into my life. Because following Jesus is what brings me into that place where I can actually experience that resurrection life. Being his disciple, doing what he says, following his word, that's what brings me into that resurrection life. Everything else falls short. Everything else leaves us wanting, disappointed, hurt, and frustrated. So I wanna give an opportunity for anyone that has not asked the Lord Jesus into their life for them to do it today. And family, this is not about magic words. There are no magic words. This is about faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that we can't get it right. And we can't get it right on our own. We acknowledge that Jesus did get it right. And that he died on the cross to pay the price for what I couldn't get right. We ask him to come into our lives, to be our savior, to be our Lord, to watch over us, to teach us, to guide us. We ask him to forgive us of our sins. And when we do that, we know that we are part of this resurrection life. For the old person dies and a new person is born. So if there's one, and those that are home, those that are watching online, if there's one who has never asked the Lord into their life before, I want you to just raise your hand and put it back down. It's just an acknowledgement that, yeah, this is where I'm at. And I know where I need to be. Even when you're at home by yourself, just raise your hand and put it back down. Saying, yes, that's me. That's me. That's me. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need for my life to change. I need to be different. I'm tired of this struggle for life and death. I want to walk in my new life. So if that's you, I want you to just repeat these words after me. And these words are just from you to the Father. I'm just helping with the words. It's not about me and there's no magic in the word. This is coming from your heart. Dear Lord, I acknowledge that I have sinned. I have messed up. I don't know how to get it right. But I believe that you got it right, Lord Jesus. And you said that if I believe in you, you would make me right. So right now, I'm confessing that you, Lord Jesus, are the son of the living God. That you died on the cross for my sin. And you rose again on the third day, showing that there is new life. And because you are alive, I can live. So I accept that new life right now, Lord Jesus. I invite you in. Take over. Teach me. 
Grow me. Help me to become who you want me to be. The person who I need to be. person who I want to be. I entrust my life in your hands. And according to your word, that says that I'm saved. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So let me just pray for those that may have said that for the first time. Father, I'm asking that you would just grab hold of that person. Draw them closer to you, Lord God, that you would speak directly into their hearts and minds in that way that only you can. In that voice that you know that they need to hear, Lord God, that you would show them your love and your joy. Show them the peace that comes from loving you, oh God. Lord, wrap them in your arms. Draw them into your presence so that your name, your name will be glorified in their lives. Lord, bind the hand of the enemy. Build a hedge around them, protect them, and keep them, Lord God. Don't allow the devil to get at them. And send the people into their lives to help them, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to bring them closer to you, Lord. To teach them what they can bring to the kingdom. Bless them and keep them, Father, in Jesus' name. Now I want to talk to those of us that know Jesus.